Chasing. Wow. Wow. A round of applause for the mustachioed man, right? One of my boys, uh, we were FaceTiming yesterday, and he is growing his mustache out. College kid. Apparently, it's the thing to do. Uh, he referred to it as a dirt squirrel. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure I want to know what that means, but uh, there you go. Hey, I'm excited to have our whole uh, church family out together in one place. This is a little bit different than the way we typically worship. A lot of times we kind of segment. I know we've got the little bitty kids inside still, but we've got a bunch of kids in the worship space today uh, as well. Hey, if you're a kid, can I hear you? Can you celebrate? Yeah, welcome. I know you guys have got some activities in your hands, some things that Pastor Joy gave you. I'm going to encourage you to pull those out. I know you're playing a little bingo. You're looking for some stuff in my sermon, especially, and uh, I will give you a heads up when that's coming up. I got a text just a few minutes ago, about 30 minutes ago, maybe an hour ago, from a friend. His name is Matt. He's on the pit crew for a little thing called the Indianapolis 500. Have any of you ever heard of it? Any race fans out there today? And you're here. God bless you. I'm so glad that you're here, that we're worshiping in this space. I'm sure you're ready to stream it on the Paramount app a little bit later. Uh, so his name is Matt. He's on Ed Carpenter's pit crew. Anybody ever heard of Ed Carpenter? Yeah. He sent me this text just not long ago, and let me open it up. I shared this with, we gather together on the front end and pray for you guys and pray for the service. And he, he sent this to me, he said, hey, throw one up for us when you're bending the good Lord's ear today. We need all the help we can get. And so we prayed for him. We prayed for all of those uh, race car drivers and what's going on down at the track today and prayed for us, prayed for this service, prayed for what God's going to do in this collective space today. Hey, kids, we're coming up on vacation season, school. For some of us, it just let out. For some of us, it's getting ready to let out. Have any of you ever been in the car when either mom or dad are driving and somebody gets turned around or lost? Kids, have you ever been there in that moment? I know that this happens less today with GPS. It probably happens less with mom than it does with dad because dads, we don't admit it, right? I, uh, I got to take my boys to the Indianapolis 500, the two oldest ones, years ago. And actually, Matt, the guy that texted me today, had hooked us up. We got to hang out right behind Pitt Row and uh, got to sit there during the race. And uh, Elio Castroneves was the number one driver that year. Ryan Briscoe was number three, and Matt was on his pit crew. And so through the whole race, I mean, he was busy, right? He was doing his thing. But every once in a while, we got to walk up to the fence, and he'd introduce us to somebody. And we get to meet somebody, kind of pick their brain a little bit, meet some celebrities and some driver's wives and that kind of thing. And I kept asking him questions. Hey, what do I do about this? Or where's the closest restroom? Or, hey, the kids need this. What can I do this? And he almost always had the answer. Why? Because he had been there before. I hadn't. Today, today we're talking about a topic where none of us have been before. We're going to lead into some wisdom from somebody who has been there, who knows where and how to go from experience. We've been walking through this series for the last several weeks. Kiddos, if uh, you're joining us today for the first time, we have been studying through a book in your Old Testament Bible called Ecclesiastes. It's wisdom literature. 
3,000-year-old wisdom literature. And the topic that we're looking at today is literally life and death. Because even 3,000 years ago, the writer of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with these topics. You've heard it already several times, but if you have not yet downloaded the app, do it. Pull it out right now. If you've got the app on your smartphone, please turn your brightness all the way up. And uh, then uh, open up that app. Go to the bottom right-hand corner. I think it says more. There's like three little dots. Click on that. You'll see sermons at the top of that. Click on sermons, and it should be the top one is today's message is titled Life and Death. We're going to look at the greatest question that this book has to offer. How should we live in light of unavoidable death? 100% of people die. Sid Collins, years ago in 1964, I love this quote, he said this, We're all speeding toward death at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. If you're a student, maybe a kid in the audience today, you think of grandma and grandpa and great grandma and great grandpa and that, that's something that happens a long time, a lifetime from now. The older you are though, you know that that is relative, right? It speeds up the closer you get to the end. What happens after death? We should ask somebody who's literally been there. Ecclesiastes, a thousand years before Jesus, is asking the question, what is life like without God? And unless you follow somebody who's been there before, you could be left guessing. I've been each week sharing with you the Cliff's Notes version of the message. So if you want to just listen to this and then tune out the rest, I get that. You can do that. Here's the Cliff's Notes version of this message. In the Word of God, the book of Ecclesiastes evaluates all modern expressions of humanistic philosophy big word. It's impressive that there's truly nothing new under the sun. Of all human questions, the greatest remains what happens after death. With 100 success rate, death conquers all, right? Except one. His name is Jesus. And the Christian would do well to study God's wisdom in the person of Jesus as they seek to live with purpose and meaning in a life where physical death still temporarily reigns. Just like the hot dogs we're getting ready to eat in a few minutes. We're going to take off a big bite today. Because God has made all the times. The good times and the bad. This is not a common message today, but God has made them both for a purpose. If you've got that app, go ahead and click on the first link to a scripture verse. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Some of you have come up to me and said, hey, when are we going to study that song? When are we going to read together that song from when I was a kid? This, would have, this song would have predated me. I think it was the birds that came out with the song. For every season, turn, turn, turn. Some of you know that song. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You've got it right there in front of you. There's a reason why this is in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not so much to teach us that there's a season for everything, but rather to teach us that God is the designer behind each and every one of those seasons. If you go line by line in that Hebrew poem. If you go line by line in the song that was released, I think, in the 60s. Each one of those is a comparison of the opposite ends of the spectrum. 
This is not a fatalistic, I'm resigned to my fate poem. Rather, it's recognizing the sovereignty and the design of our creator God. He's in charge of all the seasons. I don't choose my time to die. For example, he does. Ecclesiastes, in true human fashion, recognizes that the human condition, and the flaw, I might add, is that we say things like, that's not good enough. I want control of my destiny. I want to be captain of my own ship. And the writer of Ecclesiastes explores many questions, seeking to answer the question, what happens after we die? And how should we live? It's a deep book. Let's dive in. The very end of the message ends with this idea of meaningless. It says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. This is in chapter 12. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. The Christian worldview. For those of us who know Jesus, that last few lines there, this hints at the process we know to be true once we die. That God judges the living and the dead. Let's catch up real quick, shall we? There's some language in the book of Ecclesiastes. Kids, now that you're just joining us this week, you need to understand there's some language in here. There's a phrase we read over and often in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the phrase, under the sun. I've been waiting for this moment, knowing that we would be outside today, and we literally have the best sermon illustration I can think of right up here in the sky. You're feeling it on your left shoulder right now. Under the sun... When you read that in the book of Ecclesiastes, it means this. Life without God. Whenever you read that, that's what it means. And throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes, the writer is comparing and contrasting life under the sun versus life above the sun. Under the sun, this is the realm of human wisdom. Where it is to be, it's up to me, that kind of pervasive thinking. Above the sun, this is the realm of God. Wisdom, true wisdom. And throughout the whole book, the writer keeps pointing out that life without God, life under the sun, he keeps using the language, the word meaningless. The Hebrew word there is the word hevel. Literally, this means vain striving. And every week, we've kind of made the comparison. This is like if you go to the world's longest down escalator and you try to run up it. This is vain striving, thinking that you can reach the top. It's meaningless. You can't do it under the sun, life without God, seeking to find meaning. Oh, my goodness. Ecclesiastes calls for a heart shift, maybe an attitude adjustment. And I know that school is just now letting out. Kids, I know, are excited about that. I'm sorry, but today, just for the next few minutes, we're going to go back to school today. We're going to look at the truth that inside the book of Ecclesiastes, there is some philosophy. You could take a philosophy class and you could see some of the language that's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Modern philosophy, even postmodern philosophy, it's found in this ancient 3,000-year-old text. We have much to learn from it, much to apply at the end, the conclusion to the matter is found, I'll give you a sneak peek, I'll give you a hint. It's found in that baptistry right down there. By the way, we have at least one baptism that is scheduled for today. It's about 20 degrees hotter up here on the stage than where you're sitting right now, and I keep looking down at that baptistry. I'm planning to climb into that baptistry at the end of this message. 
and a gal named Stephanie is going to join me in that tank, and we're going to celebrate her baptism into Christ, buried with Christ, rise and walk in a brand new life. We're going to celebrate that at the end of the message. I wonder if there might be somebody who's here today. You're asking some of these deep questions that we're going to look at from life. And I just wonder if you today, it's a beautiful day to be baptized. Maybe you didn't come preparing to do that. Know this, we have dry clothes for you to change into. You could literally walk up there today, and if you've been thinking about baptism, today might be a beautiful day to do it. I'd love nothing more than to get to baptize you into Christ and celebrate new life in Christ in your life. Ecclesiastes, turn to chapter 2, verse 12. Let's look at this text a little bit closer, and let's see if we can find some of these philosophic questions that the writer of Ecclesiastes is asking. Chapter 2, verse 12. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly. True statement. Just as light is better than darkness. That's why we gather together today at 10 a.m. rather than 10 p.m. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the, fool, for the wise, like the fool, will not long be remembered. And the days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. This is the first place in the book of Ecclesiastes where the topic of death comes up. Kids, what's better? Wisdom or foolishness? Go ahead and vote. Which is better, wisdom or foolishness? Turn to your parents and tell them. Wisdom, right? But here's the thing. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is saying, under the sun, life without God... The wise and the fool have the same ending. So kind of what's the point? If you're taking notes, write this down. And you can do that real handy in the app. Just click on that thing. It comes up. You can write this down in your notes. The writer just referenced this idea of fate. This is a philosophic construct. Fate, I want you to notice, can only ask questions. So the rest of these philosophies that we're going to look at today, modern and postmodern uh, philosophies that were spoken 3,000 years ago in this ancient wisdom literature, they all ask simply a question because fate can only ask questions. And the rest of this message, we're going to deal with that. These under-the-sun philosophies, note that each one asks a question. The first one, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's egoism. Egoism. And it literally asks the question, we just read it, what is gained by being wise? What is gained by being wise? Egoism basically says, it asks the question, who's the most important person in the world? So I says to myself, self, we can answer that, right? Me, myself, and I, this is egoism. Under the sun thinking, this philosophic idea basically says, I'm only going to pursue what benefits 
me? Verse 15 asks the question, what then do I gain by being wise? Now you take this to its natural conclusion, live it up, right? I mean, if this is the case, I might as well live like the fool. Why try to be wise? I should just live it up. Okay, kids, lean in. If you're playing bingo, listen closely to this next part. You want some evidence of this idea of egoism? We see it in our world today. Kids, go ahead and turn to your parents. I want you to play a little game with them, a little trivia game. Whoever's first to holler it out between you and your parents wins. I don't know what you win. That's up to you and your parents. Here it is. Tell them what this means. YOLO. YOLO. Y-O-L-O. -O. YOLO. You know what it means? Tell your parents if you do. It stands for you only live once. This is some of the wisdom of the age, this idea of egoism. YOLO. You only live once. It might sound like wisdom to protect what's only available once, but really what I've discovered this to be is it's a justification for pursuing folly, for pursuing chasing after the wind. You only live once, so you might as well do that dumb thing that might get you killed, right? YOLO. This is egoism. Go ahead and turn over to chapter 3. We're going to see where this next philosophy shows up, where death shows up in our text. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 18, I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. Remember, this is in the context of if you're thinking like under the sun. You're missing the above the sun wisdom. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. And so I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that's their lot in life. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? As we look at these under-the-sun philosophies, notice that each one asks a question. It's no different for this one. The philosophy is called ontology. O-N-T-O-L-O-G-Y, ontology. You'll study this in high school or maybe college. Ontology. And it asks the question, the writer of Ecclesiastes is asking, who knows if the spirit of humankind, people, goes to heaven? This has to do with our nature and the way we view ourselves. Looking at the fate of men and animals, and the writer is saying, under the sun thinking would point out, well, we all die. This feels meaningless. Under the sun, this idea of ontology would say that mankind is no better than the animals. There's no difference between you and a mosquito. You might have one of those bloodsuckers on your arm right now. If you do, slap it and kill it. This sneaks its way into our thinking. Some of us were wrapping up the school year where we've been studying this even in our science classes. There's a scientific theory, perhaps you're familiar with it, that says that humankind came from animals. Evolution is the cornerstone, actually, of atheism. You take that to its logical conclusion, if you're no different than the animals, oh my goodness, 
This is under the sun thinking. If we raise our eyes above the sun and we see you and me the way God sees us, we are different because we have an eternal soul. You know, the most recent census numbers coming out of Seattle confirm this. There are, now, get, get this, there are now more dogs in Seattle than children. By a lot. About 153,000 dogs to 107, 178 kids, according to the figures from the U.S. Census and the Seattle Animal Shelter. Don and I were down on Mass Avenue in, uh, down in the city celebrating our anniversary a week or so ago, and I was like, what smells so good? Followed our noses over to a space. It was a bakery for dogs. Now listen, I love my dog. We have a chocolate lab. His name is Teak. He's awesome. I love that dog. But hear me clearly. I love my kids more. I love your kids, your grandkids more. My worst enemy, I love his kids more than I love my dog. Why? Because we're precious in God's sight. I would suggest that Imago Dei, image bearers, there's a reason why these school shootings stir us up so much. Because the value of a human soul, the value of our kids. By the way, I know you all have been wrestling through this the last week just like we have. Can we just pause right now before I go any further, right where you're at? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Can we take a moment through the lens of the human soul and the lens that people matter to God? Can we just take a moment and pray? Let me give you two specific prayers. Pray for Uvalde, Texas. There are grieving families there today. There's a grieving community there today. Would you also pray for our community here? Listen, as a daddy who had two kids at Noblesville Middle School West, I know that this stirs up trauma, even in our local community. So would you simply bow your heads and close your eyes, and just for the next few seconds, can we pray to our God, the Creator God, above the sun wisdom, and just ask, ask for His participation and the stories that are unfolding right now around us. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray as an image bearer of you, our God, the creator God of the universe, and an image bearer of children in one of our southern states, I pray for those families. I pray for that community. I pray for our community. Collectively, together today, we lift up our groanings. We lift up our prayers before you, our God, knowing that you hear our prayers and you move on them. And it's your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember, fate only asks questions. Verse 21 says, who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth. The third philosophy surrounding death, to find that you've got to turn to chapter 6. So go ahead and turn to chapter 6, verse 12 in Ecclesiastes. Check this out. It says, for who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow. And then it asks a second question. Who can tell them what will happen under the sun, right, life without God, after they are gone? 
There's two questions we pull from this, two philosophies we pull from this short verse. Notice that each one of them asks a question. The first one is the philosophy of ethics. Ethics. And it asks the question, we just read it, who knows what is good for a person in life? Listen, if there is no God, if you're confined to thinking this under the sun view, thinking, here's how you would define it. There's no objective morality. There's only moral relativity is what they call it, which says whatever you think is right, and you do whatever is right for you. Listen, if this is true, we're left without any grounding for justice. Y'all, I need somebody to rescue my wife, Dawn, from the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Has anybody else been captured by this over the last few weeks? I haven't, but she gives me a nightly report, and I love it, and it's a fun conversation. I hear it's fascinating. I hear it's the best TV going today. And those who have been caught by it, my goodness, in my house, we've got a homeschool strategy going, and we're learning about the justice system. And why is that such compelling TV? Well, because we, as image bearers of God, we have a justice trigger. The philosopher Bertrand Russell, who happened to be an atheist, said this, it all comes down to personal taste. In other words, whatever you think is right can be different from the person sitting next to you. Nothing objective to stand on for justice. This is under the sun thinking. This is not above the sun thinking. These philosophies, again, notice that each one of them asks a question. Here's the next one. It's the philosophy, we're going to call it epistemology. Epistemology. Epistemology, easy for me to say. And it asks the question, we just read it in verse 12, who can tell what will happen after they are gone? It asks the question, under the sun, how do you know what you know? How do you know that those waters down there are connected to an ancient ritual that the early church leaned into, literally gave their lives for? Because they believed that this life is the beginning of eternal life. And through connecting with Jesus Christ, I can live forever in eternity. How do you know this is true? We have an answer to this. You and I have an answer to this. There's this song from my childhood. Perhaps some of you know this old hymn, this old song, Because He Lives. And the lyrics in that song say, an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Turn to chapter 8. Chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, verse 7, says this. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? as no one has power over the wind to contain it. By the way, the disciples of Jesus a thousand years later, if you're a Bible student, perhaps you remember the story where Jesus calms the storm. And the disciples turn to one another and say, who is this man? That the, the very wind and the very waves obey him. Jesus flew in the face of under-the-sun fatalism which says no one has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has power over the time of their death. Note, again, spoiler alert, Jesus had and he still has that power. 
That's why we believe in the power of the baptistry. We believe in the power of Jesus conquering Satan, sin, death, and hell. And we are united with Christ, and therefore we get to live with him forever. Under the sun philosophies, again, notice that each one asks a question. This one that we just read from that text is the philosophy fatalism, which asks the question, we just read it, who knows the future? This is the philosophy that says, again, under the sun, that everything in your life is just predetermined. We see this today in our world, don't we? Justifying sinful activity. Hey, man, I, I was just made that way. It was predetermined. Who are you to judge? This is just the life I was given. This is just the cards that I was death, so, dealt. So just give in because there's no hope, really. Spoiler alert. 100% of people die. How much time do you have left? How much time do you really know between now and then? You don't know. Fatalism, though, is the incorrect result of examining this truth that we just spoke without looking to God. It's under the sun thinking, not above the sun thinking. The last philosophy, if you want to see this, turn to chapter 9. Chapter 9, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1, he says this, So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or wait or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. So it is with the good, so it is with the sinful, as it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens. Here's our phrase again, under the sun. Under the sun, that philosophy, that way of thinking, says the same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, well, then they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. This under the sun thinking here is part right. 100% of people die, but oh my goodness, you have the ability to choose today your eternal destiny. You have the ability to literally let God chart your course, not just for today and for the rest of your life here on earth under the sun, but for eternity, which, get this, gets spent with God above the sun. We call it heaven. This under the sun philosophy, the last one that we find in this text, notice that each one asks a question. This one is the, the, the philosophy nihilism. Some pronounce it nihilism, which asks the question, who knows whether love or hate await them? We just read that in the text. This is the philosophy that says, again, under the sun, listen, there's no purpose to life. I would suggest to you that is so wrong. Your purpose in this life Check, check, check. Your purpose in life is to connect with Jesus each and every opportunity you have. So you get to spend forever connecting with Jesus every, each and every opportunity you have. Nihilism is depressing. 
you want to find it in pop culture, might I suggest you go to some incredible 80s and 90s bands that I grew up in. Any Metallica fans out there? The song, Nothing Really Matters, that's nihilism. Maybe a little bit older, the band Kansas, Dust in the Wind, that's nihilism. Remember, though, under the sun, thinking, fate only asks questions. We're doing it today. What's the meaning of life? What's my purpose in life? What can I contribute to the world? Will I be remembered after I die? And these questions essentially ask the same thing. Why am I here? And it is, it's a question that surfaces in a whole bunch of different stages in life. Like for some of us who are younger, our kiddos today might be asking, what am I going to be when I grow up? Or it may take the form of when you're a little bit older, what is my major going to be? Or it may take, as you get a little bit older, the form of what should my uh, career be? Or the question could even be for those of us in middle age, maybe having a bit of a crisis, am I happy with what I've done in my life so far? In these varied forms, this may, may well be the number one question that haunts everybody's life. There was a uh, play written years ago and performed by Samuel Beckett. It lasted all of 35 seconds. It begins with a dark stage, then you hear the sound of a newborn baby cry, followed up by a breath being drawn slowly in. Simultaneously, the lights slowly go up on the stage to reveal a pile of garbage, then the breath is slowly let out, and the lights go dim until the stage is in darkness again. There's a second cry, and the play is over. Can you imagine that? Beckett's message seems pretty clear. Life is garbage, over in a single breath. For Beckett, the author of this play, this playwright, life is meaningless. There's no purpose in our individual lives. Does that sound like familiar? Does that sound like under the sun thinking that we've been studying from Ecclesiastes? Here's the deal. Most of us don't agree with Beckett. Most of us feel that there's more to life than biological existence and just survival. The Bible reveals God to us. And the Bible can be seen as telling us a big story that all of us can live by. It's a big story that gives meaning to all of our lives and helps answer, why am I here? N.T. Wright, theologian, suggests that the Bible can be seen as a big story, a big play, and he suggests there's five acts to it. Today, I'll suggest to you that there are six acts to it. Real quick, let me share with you the Bible is a six-act play. It starts act one with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, the first day, and then each story, day after day of creation. God speaks the world into existence, creation. Act number two, alienation. Sin enters the world, separated from a holy God. But act three is reconciliation. Part one, it's covenant relationship, Old Testament, Abraham, then Moses. Skip ahead a little bit to the book of Ecclesiastes and the writer Solomon living under covenant, where God is reconnecting and reconciling God with man. Skip ahead to Act 4. This is Reconciliation Part 2. In this act, God writes himself into the play. This is in the nature and the form of Jesus Christ, who lives a sinful, 
sinless life for sinful people so that we can connect with him for forever. The end of the Bible is Act 6. This is renewed creation. The end of the Bible in uh, the book of Revelation, we see God says, Behold, I make all things new. You might have noticed that I skipped one. Where's Act 5? Well, Act 5 is being written by us today. What do you do when you're confronted by above the sun thinking and truth? Remember, under the sun thinking, fate only asks questions. But above the sun thinking, we know that God is the answer. I'm going to wrap my sermon here, and we're going to respond with worship. Would you just close your eyes right now? Close your eyes on this beautiful, sunny day and listen to these words from, if you know him, your Savior. Jesus says in John chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Above the sun. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, listen to me. He said, I am the way. I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you asking deep questions about this life and the life to come? That is the answer. We know the way. We have the answer. The answer in a name is Jesus. Do you know him? Have you been connected with him in the waters of baptism? Have you been buried with Christ? To rise and walk in a brand new life as the worship team is out here right now. We're going to respond. Some of us are going to respond to this message with, yay, God. We're going to respond with worship. Some of us, if God's nudging your heart today, Stephanie's going to be baptized. While that's happening, maybe you want to come forward and talk to one of the folks we'll have right up here in the front. We would love nothing more than to celebrate your baptism today that's you, and you feel God whispering in your ear, don't ignore that. Listen to that. We've got dry clothes. We'll send you home in dry clothes. You can be baptized literally in the clothes you're wearing right now. I'm going to climb into the tank while we sing this song. We're going to celebrate that baptism. And if, if I'm talking to you, we'd love to have you join us. Would you stand up with me right now? God, we love you. On this beautiful day, we worship you, our God. We respond in worship with above the sun thinking. In your name and Jesus' name, we worship you.